Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sothenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. As my senior year of college got nearer and nearer to that day of graduation, and my group of friends increasingly felt that inevitable goodbye racing toward us, we started to tell a certain story. I'm not sure I remember how it started or even why it started, but it went something like this. Okay. Once you guys are done with graduate school and have a couple of years of teaching under your belt, and once you guys have a couple years of the business world experience, and, and once we've all got a taste of the real world, wouldn't it be cool if we all came back together and lived in one place? Yeah, maybe like, like some sort of cul-de-sac where we could all be neighbors and raise our families together. The cul-de-sac crew. We talked about sharing meals and life and, and even prayers as we had in college. As, as Christians, actually, we talked about being a church together, a church plant with a shared vision and life. Can you imagine? A group of people you really like and all of them really get it. They're thoughtful and fun. They're faithful and committed. They're not hung up on all the small stuff. 1 Corinthians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Corinth, a church he himself planted some 18 months ago, and they are splintering now into multiple cul-de-sacs, or in their time, multiple house church sites, as we're going to talk about more in next week's sermon. Uh, some are rallying around certain leaders in the church, and others are rallying to yet other leaders in the church. Some cannot abide by those in the church who are willing to eat meat that has been sacrificed to a pagan idol. And some could really care less about eating such meat. The wealthier are gorging themselves with food and drink at the Lord's Supper and, and leaving almost nothing for the poor who are waiting in another room to, to eat and drink whatever's left over. Along theological lines, along morality lines, along sociological lines, the members of the early church are gravitating toward their preferred cul-de-sac of people who get it all the while quarreling with those on the other sides. Quarreling is the Paul, word Paul uses in chapter 3 to describe what he has heard is going on in the church at Corinth amid these growing factions. It's a Greek word commonly used in the political arena in that time, and it's a word that refers to fiery, emotional disagreement. Does that sound familiar? 
And so what do you do about it once theological or moral or sociological or political differences are expressed in a fiery and emotional manner and it begins splintering the church or a family or longtime friends who no longer know how to speak with one another? What do you do when, when division over significant matters starts to exact a significant relational cost and quarreling becomes the reality? So we turn to Paul, because surely Paul, who's never minded being ornery or courageous on behalf of Jesus, surely Paul is going to know just the word that must be spoken in such times. And hopefully the word is this. You're in the right cul-de-sac. Stay put. It's the other people that need to get it together. What's the very first thing Paul has to say to this splintering congregation? To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, not to house number three on the corner of such and such intersection, not to first church so-and-so, not to the church of Christ located here and there, to the church of God, the one that is in Corinth. And then continues the sentence, to the church of God in Corinth, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul makes it clear that when he sees the church, he sees a single expression of the church in Corinth, but really they're just part of the one single church comprised of people in every place who call on the name of Jesus. And so before Paul says a word about all that divides the church, and he will get there, he speaks first this truth. They are one. And how is that so? By grace, God made it that way. Two different times in these few verses, Paul speaks of the church as being called into existence, called by God into the fellowship of Jesus. The church does not choose its existence. We do not choose our favorite people to to fit into our preferred cul-de-sac of like-minded or like-looking or like-voting or like-educated or like income people. It is God who calls the church into a being as a profound diversity of one body. Every generation, this is a miracle of pure grace. I first memorably encountered this truth firsthand after Michelle and I graduated college. We got married and we moved to Los Angeles. And those first couple years there were, were, were tough. We would meet good people, but they weren't quite like our old friends. They weren't, they weren't the cul-de-sac crew. And then finding a church, that proved incredibly difficult. The preaching, the music, the people, not quite how we used to do church or how we thought the, the cul-de-sac crew would really do church and prioritize things. We kept trying to pick and choose the perfect one. We were in control of what's going to happen here, and every one of them was a disappointment. Shortly after getting to this place of sort of a resigned apathy about this, we walk into a Presbyterian church of, of maybe 60 or so folks. The last minute thing, we were driving by it, had, had not really previously noticed it before. We walk in and there is this ugly lime green carpet. That used to be all the rage in, in another era. And it was their sanctuary. Uh, darkened lighting, just hadn't replaced some of the bulbs sparse gathering. No pastor. 
They were just rotating through lay people and retired preachers. It's a miraculous story today where they are, and they've called a pastor. And it's, it, but I remember the first time arriving, and, and, and I noticed there was a sign-up list for volunteers, and you could just write your name on this piece of paper in the narthex if you wanted to, to greet in the coming weeks. You, there was actually a space for, for leading the, the prayer of confession and assurance of, of pardon as early as next week. And I remember visiting three weeks in, Michelle and I, we got there a bit early and, and there was no one greeting. So we filled our names in for that day and we greet the church that we don't know. <laughs> for a few weeks, we kept coming back and I'm not sure we could tell you precisely why because it didn't make sense except that we sensed ourselves drawn or called with, with an almost gravitational-like Paul, we would never have chosen this on our own. This was not the cul-de-sac crew. And yet there was so much grace. Because how else could you gather in one room this warm, worshipful people of truly every generation, different colors, families and singles, politically varied? How else could this inexplicable community with all of its obvious shortcomings and significant differences have ever come together except by the grace of God. We came to love that church we would never have chosen ourselves. How often we are tempted to choose and create our preferred church or our preferred people group within an expression of the church. At some level, that's, that's natural. We, we seek ways to belong and connect, but, but we can start to look then intently for, for certain buzzwords on church websites or, or words that come from the pulpit or, or elsewhere around the church to tell if this is conservative or liberal. Is this black or white or Hispanic? Is this educated and, and to what level? Theologically, this or that. We try to pick and choose, and even we start to quarrel against the other side, to the church of God that is in Georgetown, called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. First things first, we exist as one, and it's God who has put us all together and thought it good. And then Paul, in the very next section of his introductory remarks, presses into the almost scandalous implication of the fact that we are called and drawn together by this one, as one, by God. Listen to what he says. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace God has given you in Jesus Christ. For in every way you have been enriched so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. Now notice... Paul's not blind to what's going on. He's not giving thanks for the way the church is quarreling and dividing and some of the significant moral lapses that are going on. Paul eventually confronts all that in much more detail in his letter. But Paul does see reason to give thanks because God has been faithful to enrich them with all that is necessary for them to flourish. You, plural, the church, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Paul's nodding to a point he's going to make much clearer later in his letter, namely that the church together is not lacking. Separated, factioned, then yes, the church is lacking, is hurting, is limping. But the church together, with all of its diversity of people and gifts, that church lacks nothing. That church shall flourish. That is how God designed the church to work. But now if you're you're receiving this letter and you're looking over at the other house church. 
How can you tell me I could possibly thank God for that person and those people with their failures, with their stance, with their... How can you declare that God has given us everything we need to flourish and that necessarily includes the God-given gifts of those people? There's a pastor in Austin, Texas area. His name's Alan Hilton. A few years ago, he founded a nonprofit called House United. It's an organization that, that helps churches as well as other groups uh, talk openly and, and meaningfully and, and even lovingly about significant issues that divide us and, and even maybe find strength from that of all things. And so the congregation I used to serve in Richmond, Virginia, they tried this with Alan Hilton himself facilitating one weekend. And the issue on the table was immigration. As Alan Hilton is laying out the discussion, how it's going to unfold in this room of 60 or so participants with differing gifts and viewpoints, he says this. Now, when I call on someone and they share what's on their heart about this issue, everyone else listens. And when they finish, I will invite all of us together to say this refrain aloud. Listen for the word of the Lord. And then we'll have a few moments of silence before the next person is called upon. Now think about that. Listen for the word of the Lord. Not listen to the word of the Lord as if each person that stands up is just mediating directly everything God needs to say. But listen for the word of the Lord. That is a phrase that assumes that because this person is part of the church, part of the body of Christ, then God has been faithful to grace this person with gifts and a voice that not only contribute, but are in fact necessary to the body. Not everything they say may be of God, but, but, but listen for God, whether it's just a part of what they say, the tone of their voice, some small point along the way. The bottom line is, if you're invited to listen for the word of the Lord and each person, you implicitly acknowledge the grace of God that exists in and through each person. Can you imagine giving thanks for somebody in the body of Jesus Christ with whom you profoundly disagree? Not because you're condoning their stance or, or, or their actions or their failings, certainly Paul's not, but giving thanks because you believe just as the grace of God has gifted and held you, so too it has gifted and held them, and so surely they have something somehow to offer. And if there's something almost scandalizing about the thought of listening for the Lord through certain people, we would be wise to remember that at the heart of our faith is the affirmation that God came in our midst as a poor Palestinian man, raised in a backwater town, teaching his elders in the temple at the age of 12, eventually scorned by the religious scholars of his day, betrayed and reviled by commoners and soldiers alike, hung shamefully from an instrument reserved for common and forgotten criminals. That is the person through whom the word of the Lord has come to us. Would it be really any less scandalizing than if that same God were working and speaking through the unlikely body of Christ today? Maybe especially those we might most readily overlook, forget about, scorn, or revile. 
In what surprising direction might our hearts turn and listen for the word of God this day? I do not pretend to have easy or obvious answers for how we engage the significant divisions we know this day in our church, in our nation, our families, all the while maintaining a faithful integrity around issues that truly matter. But most certainly, Paul gives us a starting point, a lens through which we would approach everyone in the church. And notably, Paul doesn't start with any of the theological, moral, sociological, or political issues that so often splinter folks into the cul-de-sacs. He gets there, but the first thing, the starting point, is this basic reminder of who we are. To the church that is in the church of God that is in Georgetown. You are one. God has called you as such. Give thanks, for by grace God has poured out upon all of you every gift that you need. You lack nothing. And you, together with all who call on the name of Jesus Christ, may discover the gift of your unity, the gift of your abundance, insofar as you give and receive your varied gifts from one another. And then Paul adds, right at the very end of his introduction, quite helpfully, quite importantly, because this really is not easy work or natural work. This is really quite tricky. He adds, and God will strengthen you to the end. God is faithful. Faithful. 